3: We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station.
1: In a very, very weird time on the globe in America, in baseball. Baseball conversation continues with Inside the Clubhouse here on 670 The Score. And the times got weirder and sadder this week. When we lost a colleague. Our next guest joins us now to discuss on the Alpamani Ford Hotline, Alpamani Ford in Melrose Park.
4: The voice of the St. Louis Cardinals and a friend of mine and yours for a long time, Matt, John Rooney, nice enough to join us on Inside the Clubhouse on this Saturday morning. Good morning, Johnny. How are you today?
3: I'm doing fine, Bruce, uh, Matt, uh, Adam. Uh, good to be with you guys today. And- talk a little baseball and, uh, and to uh, remember our good friend Ed Farmer.
4: Can you, uh, can you explain what the ex- was like to be a friend of Ed Farmer's in a, uh, in a briefer than two hour uh, time limit? Because I can't. I- I'm wondering if, if you have uh, some thoughts about uh, how intertwined that was and how beautifully complicated those friendships were.
3: Well, it, he was um, a, a lot of things to a lot of people, and all of that's very, very good, Bruce. Uh, he was a great networker uh, before the term networking ever became uh, in vogue, and he brought a lot of people together. And I was thinking about this uh, when I got a message from uh, Cardinal former Traveling Secretary C.J. Cherry, and, and here's just an example of how he brought people together. Uh, Ed had the great love for Notre Dame football. And so he knew Jeff Jeffers, who covered Notre Dame, uh, the late Jeff Jeffers, a uh, good friend of ours. And and uh, he was working in South Bend, uh, but introduced uh, C.J. and uh, Ed. And uh, then it was years before C.J. saw Ed again. And C.J. Uh, went up to Ed and said, hi, uh, Ed, uh, C.J., so I, I know who you are. And uh, we met with Jeff Jeffers and recalled the moment that uh, he met C.J. Cherry. But. That's how he brought people together, and there are millions of examples like that of uh, people that Ed knew all over the country, and in many cases, all over the world.
1: You know, it, it's, it, he, he had such a unique timing and patter just to the way he would have conversation with you off the air, um, on the air. Did that take you a little while to get used to, John? But, I mean, you guys had a very, very good, very unique chemistry together.
3: Well, I don't think it took uh, very long to get uh, used to anything. I, I try not to do that with any analyst or any partner I work with in any sport. You, you want them to be themselves. You want their personality to come out. And that was never a problem with Ed. As Ed uh, started doing a little bit of play-by-play the first couple of years and worked into more and more and more, and then took over when I left to go uh, on after the 2005 season, uh, he um, he had lots of experience with it. He worked at it. It was just like uh, he performed when he was on the field. The only way to get better is repetition and uh, keep working at it. John,
4: uh, you guys would do your broadcast. It was seamless. It was exciting. It was fun. But it, behind you at, in the home radio booth, it, there could be like a uh, Studio 54 uh, atmosphere going on with with friends of yours, but uh, a lot of Ed's friends coming in, uh, sharing uh, food from the Bertucci brothers, uh, from Levy, uh, all kinds of different uh, outlets, and and no one would ever know that was going on because Ed Ed could turn to those people, talk to them during a break, uh, and then you guys would come back, and it was just baseball again. How how was that to get used to? How was that as uh, you know uh, your your daily life?
3: with Ed in those booths? No, I, that, that never was a problem, and we, we still have that a lot here in St. Louis. Our booth in St. Louis is big enough where we could take infield and then uh, put the tables back in and do the game. Uh, we have a lot of people in the booth uh, most every night down here in St. Louis, and we did in uh, Chicago as well. But uh, the, the focus, uh, when, when the red light's on, is uh, on the field. And you do the game, and, and then in between innings, uh, it was a, it was a lot of fun. And our booth was kind of like a, a microcosm of the way baseball should be, where you have family, friends, and baseball together. And uh, Ed had all that going in the booth all the time.
1: Uh, it, uh, do you have any memories of that absurd 14-inning World Series game with you and Ed uh, just you know, staying alive, staying awake, staying afloat, uh, all the through the thing? What, what was that like for you and Ed to experience together, John?
3: Well, there was a makeshift uh, makeshift wall between our booth and the Houston Astros front office booth, and they kept hitting that wall I thought was going to come down <laughs> as uh, the White Sox uh, got closer and closer to winning. And Ed just kept pounding back on it, uh, as, as you can imagine Ed would. And uh, I remember uh, before uh, Jeff Blum hit the home run that uh, Ed looked at me and goes, just somebody do something. <laughs> Let's go and uh and it happened and uh and the way it all worked out we had four games there that could have gone either way and they went the right way with the white Sox taking the series in four but uh yeah I, I remember that night very very well though we're trying to you know, pick up on changes going on and as the game kept moving along and and by that point the, the season was a grind for everybody including the people on the field and that's where you you really grow an appreciation for what these guys do on the field and how easy they make it look so many times with, uh, with the way they start in February on you know, spring training and, and work all the way through uh, late October. And, uh, and who knows, hopefully we'll get a chance to work into December <laughs> this year. I don't yeah. care. Whatever it takes to play some baseball. But, no, uh, Ed just looked at me at one point, somebody do something. And uh, <laughs> kind, of, kind of reminiscent of, you know, Harry Carey sometimes You know, in some cases, you know, Can anybody get anybody out? You know, that kind of thing.
4: (laughs) John Rooney, the voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, joining us uh, for a few minutes more. Gracious time by John today with Matt and myself here on the score and on Inside the Clubhouse. John, uh, I was sitting with you guys uh, throughout uh, those, those games in Houston, and we had a lot of different people come in the booth from time to time. We had assistant general manager Rick Hahn sitting with us at times. Uh, Hawk was coming in and doing some things with you guys from time to time. It was, uh, it was certainly uh, something that I'll never forget being a part of that and you guys being so gracious, as you said, opening up the booth to me as we prepared for the, the pre- and post-games uh, back then when there was uh, almost a, an instant transition from uh, the, the station we were working at back then into the score uh, right after the, the championship.
3: Well, Bruce, uh, when when you think about uh, how all that came down, uh, I, I remember after the 06 World Series and the parade we had down here in St. Louis, Chris Carpenter looked at me and said, oh, you just show up and you get a ring uh, because the White Sox won the year before. But I reminded him uh, I was there 18 years, and the White Sox had not been in a World Series since 1959 when they bowed out to the Dodgers. So that was a long time in coming and I think what I'll remember most about that is the way most people enjoyed the moment because it was so long in coming. They thought they had a really good, and, and I agree, a legitimate chance of winning it all in 94, the year of the strike. That was an excellent team and, and one of the best teams that I have been around, but it was the 05 team that finally put it all together, and Bobby Jenks uh, came out of nowhere, and, and he was able to finish off games, but the starting pitchers, were just phenomenal in the postseason, and the way Ozzie Guillen used those pitchers, uh, and uh, that was all going on on the field. But uh, run into so many people uh, since then uh, from Chicago, and some guys who have played you know in the Missouri Valley Conference in basketball, who were from the Chicago area. Oh yeah, I was in left field in the bleachers uh, for uh, you know game so and so, uh, and during the playoffs, and then in the World Series. Uh, it, that that was the fun part about it, and. And I'm sure it was that way with uh, with the Cubs, with their fans, and waiting and waiting and waiting for all those years to finally get that close, get over the threshold and into the World Series and, and had a chance to enjoy a world championship. And and I've reminded many of my Cub fans over the years, enjoy it while you can because hmm. it can go by quickly. That window can shut fast. And uh, right now it looks like the White Sox are on the verge of, of building up and uh, really competing in the division and and making a move to get back to the World Series. And it's just too bad that, you know, it won't be there to be a part of it.
1: Just to stay back in that memorable time that you're talking about for a second, John, I I was there for game two of that World Series in the auxiliary press box way down the left field line, working for Sporting News Radio at the time. And I remember after the Pitsednik walk-off, nobody left the crowd just sat there and it was the last home game unless the series was going to come back. And maybe people just thought, boy, this team's playing so well, it might not come back, but nobody left and they were just sitting around singing go, go white Sox" and singing every song as the DJ cycled through. It's a very, very memorable moment. You, 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 you recall that how so many people did not leave and just kind of stayed there and basked in that moment, even though the night was pretty cold.
3: Yeah, as we were packing our things up to uh, you know get ready to get out of there, uh, the fans were were still hanging around and it was it was busy when uh, when the team left the ballpark that night too and yeah that's what I'm saying everybody was just taking in the moment and that continued all the way through the parade and Paul Kinerko then handing the final out ball to Jerry Reinsdorf and uh, I was standing back in the back I think it was Moose Gower and said to me Kinerko ain't going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> i think he did sign a five-year deal right after that didn't he, that's it yeah.
2: <laughs> that
4: was
3: perfect so no everybody everybody enjoyed that uh who happened to be uh, a part of it or who happened to uh you know listen and watch the games and and go to uh comiskey park and and then uh just you know take in the whole atmosphere of uh of a a very magical season and uh, Jack Buck told me years and years ago, in sports, there's just nothing like winning baseball, and uh, I, I do agree with that.
4: In, in closing with you, John, uh, from my last question anyway, uh, back to the more mundane, uh, where, where were the Cardinals at in spring training? What were the, uh, the thoughts and the, the optimism going in uh, as uh, baseball shut down on March 13th?
3: Well, we had pitchers that uh, were uh, about two starts away from being ready to open the season in Cincinnati, and I think Mike and his staff, and John Bozaloc thought that the team was where it should be at that time and getting closer and closer to being ready to open up and play in Cincinnati and Milwaukee and come home and take on Baltimore and the Dodgers to get right out of the gate. They were very pleased. They had a few decisions to make, as they were looking to replace uh, Marcelo Zuna in left field, and they uh, had some uh, decisions to make in the rotation, as Miles Michaelis has uh, an elbow issue he's dealing with, and uh, seems to be getting better and better all the time, and and, uh, the pitcher they signed from South Korea, Kim, uh, had uh, a groin issue, and and I I think he had a little bit of a dead arm uh, stage there, but was coming back and looking pretty good, and uh, I, I think the Cardinals were right where they wanted to be. They have a young outfielder, Dylan Carlson, who will probably end up, uh, you know, being uh, a big part of uh, the ball club very, very soon. Uh, I don't know if he'd start with the, you know, the big club had things remained intact, but um, it uh, was really, really uh, a shame for all of baseball and for all of the world. I have to go through what we're going through right now, but uh, as, as we can do our best to try to slow this thing down. Uh, I think that's our job right now. And, and, uh, just keep that hope that baseball will be back on the field and that people can get back to work and people can, uh, do the, the best they, they possibly can to, um, uh, to get, you know, right back to, uh, enjoying, uh, life as, as we knew it. But for all those people who are suffering and all those people who, uh, are ill, uh, we, we pray for them and, uh, as I keep saying, I keep praying for a miracle.
4: Couldn't be said any better, John. Uh, Matt and I appreciate it very much. Our very best of uh, wishes for great health for you, Sue, and the girls. And uh, thank you again for joining us and uh, reminiscing a little bit about uh, your your great partner, um, Mr. Ed Farmer. Thanks again, John.
3: Well, Bruce and Matt, I really appreciate the time. And, uh, and it's just a shame they can't open up the ballpark. And- have a great uh, send-off for Ed Farmer. I, I think that would be fitting, and and I hope when the time comes they can because they fill the park and uh, and give him that great tribute that he deserves.
1: Thanks, John. Yeah, that's 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 a beautiful thought, and it's true. A Southside guy like that. That's John Rooney. Thank you so much, John Bruce. I, I mean, a, a Saint Rita guy, uh, a lifer who got to live the dream and be a part of the White Sox for for decades and decades. It would be quite a send off inside that ballpark and hopefully they can do that at some point.
4: Yeah, no one would love it more than Eddie and I can guarantee you that will happen with his uh, friendship with the people with the ballpark and I mean friendship with everybody that worked at that ballpark uh, were extended family members of Ed Farmer and Barbara and Shanda, his daughter. That's that's a guarantee uh, I can I can guarantee there'll be that celebration at some point and I will be hopefully there with you to uh, celebrate the life and times of Ed Farmer.
1: Boy, I love that Moose Scowron story. Paulie's not going anywhere. <laughs> 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 he took the ball out of his coat pocket and hands it to Jerry. Jerry loves baseball and has loved it since he was a little kid. And, uh, you know, it's like, oh, my God. Yep, Paulie's locked and loaded. And, of course, uh, of course, he was.
4: Moose uh, a very special guy in his own right that uh, – we all got to uh, appreciate and love during his time as a White Sox ambassador as well.
1: Six seventy, the score is where you are, um, and, and you know, and John mentioned the White Sox, uh, where they are as a team, where they are as a franchise. This. This awkward moment for the White Sox having to be stopped right where they are and the whole rest of the world, of course. How's one of their best players dealing with it? You'll hear from him next on The Score, and also Ron Coomer coming up later on. This hour is being brought to you by Wayback In. It's Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Call
0: from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
3: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy.
0: at Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast.
1: You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse on 670 to score. He is Bruce Levine. I am Matt Spiegel, Ron Coomer, later on. Will join us tomorrow morning. Hit and Run comes your way at nine a.m. I'll be hosting that. Uh, guests include Scott Pudzednick to talk some baseball and some life. Uh, Jay Jaffe from FanGraphs, the always great Chris Kamka, and uh, and my nephew um, who is was about to start life as a single A minor league baseball play by play man. Bruce, and uh, that, like everything else in baseball, is on pause. It'll be a a different kind of window into what uh, life is like for minor league baseball people
4: right now. I'll be listening. I'm sure many, many thousands more will as well as we segue into a conversation that Tim Anderson had uh, yesterday, a uh, telephone conference with reporters about what life is like for major league players like himself and their families right now, and uh, Tim... uh, took some time to uh, initially talk about a video that he'd been doing and uh, showing a little bit about what his life is like at home with his family right now.
1: Yeah, let's play that, uh, let's play that video. Uh, first, it's from his YouTube channel, as you mentioned, Bruce, and it's like him having some fun with the, uh, the classic 90s Chicago Bulls intro. You'll hear that, and then you'll hear Tim Anderson talking about it with media, as Bruce said, here on
2: The Score. Introducing the starting lineup for the awesome Anderson. All the way from Chi-town, first to bark, last to bite, Teddy B. Anderson! Starting at Baby Sister. Two feet, four inches. Also from Chicago. Give it up for Paxton Anderson! (laughs) <laughs> Starting at Big Sister, 3-2. Born in Atlanta, Georgia, Peyton Anderson. Starting at White, Slash Mom. Stands 5-4 from Virginia Beach, Brio.
4: And so that's
1: that, him and the family. Go ahead, Bruce. I'm sorry.
4: Yeah, uh, Tim Anderson uh, talking about, you know, on that video, uh, having some fun with his family, doing that Bulls-like intro. And Tim on uh, the press conference uh, yesterday, talking about uh, why he did that. Oh, uh, man, just
2: something, you know, um, something to do. Um, you know, something to show, give me opportunity to show my family and show people what we're doing at home and, um, you know, also introduce my family to, you know, people who follow me and, uh, allow them to see our personalities and see, you know, that we are real and what we do at home. Had a little bit of a, uh, Bulls championship vibe too. Do you know much
4: about those, uh, two teams, I mean, those two, three-piece teams? Uh, a little bit, not much. Tim, uh, how much have you been staying in touch with, um uh, your teammates, uh, via uh, you know, text or call, and uh, have you been able to keep all of your spirits up by that type of contact? Yeah, um, I see them a
2: lot on you know Instagram. Is where I really you know kind of keep in contact and see what they're doing or or whatever, um, or you know, texting a few or, or whatever. But you know, not really, not really conversation every day. But you know, I know what they're doing and. I mean, I know they're doing good. <laughs> hey, Tim, uh, you know, you guys obviously wanted to get the season going uh, really badly, but the uh, fans were also looking really forward to uh, seeing you guys out on the field. What's mm-hmm. kind of your message to White Sox fans while they kind of wait this out? Um, you know, stay prepared, too. Um, you know, when the time oh, we're going to need that same energy. Uh, and I know they're going to be hungry to, you know, cheer on. So we're going to be hungry to play. So... We need both energies to match when we when we step in between the lines. And um you know, I know they're excited. But we're excited too. So I think it's going to be great when we do start back up. And I think the, I think the fans are going to be, you know, real excited. And I think the energy is going to be crazy. So I'm i ready, and I can't I can't wait to see, you know, what happens. Hey Tim, it's uh, Jay Cohen with the Associated Press. When um how many, how much time do you think you would need to get ready right now for the start of the season? Um, honestly, um, uh, how long is spring training? Like a month and a half, right? Right. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe a month, a couple of weeks, um, yeah. somewhere around the same time frame. you know, let's be realistic with, you know, guys and, uh, you know, with pitchers arms. So, uh, I think, you know, just really being realistic about the situation, you know, and not forcing anything and just, you know, when we're, when we're ready to go. I think that, you know, I think that make a good decision. So I think they'll take
4: care of us. I think We'll be just fine. Tim Anderson, uh, talking about, uh, life in Arizona. He's still in Glendale near the complex, uh, in Arizona has not, uh, left there and, uh, will be traveling back at sometime soon. Uh, just, uh, I know, uh, Baseball fans uh, certainly um, have a need to know and a connection to know what's going on with uh, the players out there. I think it's really essential. And I'm hoping, Matt, that Major League Baseball makes this uh, more prevalent for baseball fans to stay in touch with people like On The Score and the different outlets to make sure that uh, we stay connected with the people in the game.
1: Yeah, I think it's really it's really helpful for fans to hear and it's, it's smart to connect people who who like to be connected like tim does with the youtube channel and likes to interact with people um, any way they can it's it, it's so weird to think about how all of these guys are gonna be ready at the same time the rhythms of their lives of their athletic lives to spend their off seasons you know slowly ramping up to get ready for spring and then knowing what they do in the spring to get ready for opening day um, did you read Zach Britton this week describing what he's doing to stay in shape and and stay fresh, Bruce? he's, cause yeah. he's he, he, Right? He, he's a well-paid, fortunate example. Apparently, Zach Britton of the Yankees has a bullpen in his house, if I read it right, and he sets oh, up a don't hitting you? dummy. You have
4: one here, don't you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, that's of, yeah just you just haven't turned the right corner yet it's there yeah. keep keep walking around
4: in circles you'll find it. it it's but it's tough to find a catcher though it really is right now
1: you know <laughs> well you got to train the white i've been working six on feet, it.
4: it it is six feet six inches so that meets uh, meets with <laughs> also the uh, you know you got an extra six inches there to, to deal with but you know, you, yeah. we make fun of that that distance, but we also respect it, and and we know that's that's a valuable part of this for now. But uh, yeah, I mean, we need to. I, I'm as curious as the next person to to stay in touch with uh, what baseball players are doing to to keep themselves viable here, because that's the natural part of what we're normally doing right now this time of year is following the life of uh, baseball players and baseball people for. Uh, the listeners on the score and four people on different outlets to make sure that they're in in touch with exactly what's going on with these players on and off the field. It's such a big part of what we do as well on social media. So uh, from from all of that, uh, we need to get our fix as well, just like everybody else.
1: Without a doubt, uh, Zach, Zach Britton was saying it, that he has the bullpen in the house, sets up a hitting dummy to replicate things as best he can. Uh, no word if that's Daniel Descalso. Oh, sorry, <laughs> that's that's cheap. Um, but I mean, I but he still speaker, says,
4: ladies and gentlemen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but he still says, Britton still says, I'm guessing as to the regimen, like the workout schedule. He throws once a week, and it's like this is a. This is a multi-year, multi-team veteran who has made m- millions and millions of dollars, and he's guessing, and he's fortunate enough to have a bullpen. Uh, what a crazy individualized challenge these teams are, or these times are, I should say, for for every ball player. So everybody's going to be on a different schedule when they come back.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you, know, you know, again, when you uh, talk about Britain or you talk about Anderson and his family and trying to stay... Uh, you know, at, at some semblance of uh, you know being able to play the game when they do get called back, it, it's uncharted waters, Matt. Uh, they just don't yeah. know how to prepare. They don't know how to wind down. Anderson, uh, as you heard, basically said, uh, "What do we need? Uh, you know, four weeks, six weeks? Is that what spring training is?" He, I mean, he he has no idea when it would, how long it would take him to get ready. But you know, the best guess, and we're hoping that is uh, we get the clearance at some time down the road here is that it's going to be about a three-week turnaround if and when uh, they're ready to play baseball.
1: Texter's getting in at 670-11. Jerry in South Bend wondering if we saw that MLB Cut 4 had a feed from Ian Happ and his three teammates as they were uh, in Arizona yesterday. I haven't seen the feed. I know they've been recording a podcast. They call their area the compound, Bruce, but I I, I had not seen the feed yesterday. That's smart that like guys like that who are trying to connect – MLB should absolutely be letting them uh, connect any way they possibly can
4: yeah, it would be great and, and, and again it's it's self serving for us because we want to have more information and want to have more content to be able to give uh, the great fans of Chicago and everybody else in the country but at the same time you know the perspective of uh, staying healthy and uh, you know adhering to all the rules you know is something we want to hear from them about as well and how they're doing it and well, we we want to hear from people around the, the different parts of the country to see how it's going for them and that they're healthy and that they're staying uh, within the boundaries of what uh, the government and the cities want them to do.
1: Yeah, last week we, were, we had a good fortune to talk to Pat Hughes last week and, and kind of preview what began on Wednesday here on the score with the Cubs playoff games um, re-airing with a special interactive bent to it. Let's, uh, let's talk to somebody else who's on those broadcasts uh, next, Bruce, because they continue game four of the NLDS against the Giants is tonight at 5 o'clock right here on The Score.
4: And we will be talking to Ron Coomer when we do come back from our break, and we are still listening, hoping to hear from you as well at 312-644-6767. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Grody uh, after us as well with their uh, unique brand of uh, fun and entertainment sports style uh, coming up after our
1: show. Those guys will talk a lot of bears, a lot of bears news yesterday as Ryan Pace talked, Matt Nagy talked, Nick Foles talked. So uh, that's what they'll be doing. This segment on the score is brought to you by Alana Care Health. You deserve quality healthcare. Choose Alana Care Health for healthcare coverage That includes free gym memberships, after-school care, and school uniforms that either you or your family can take advantage of. Visit IlliniCare.com today. IlliniCare Health is a Health Choice Illinois plan. We'll come back with Ron Coomer next on 670
5: The Score. Cubs come
3: up big in
5: the ninth inning. Wow. What a catch by Elmora to end the inning. We're going to play extra innings in San Francisco. Bonus baseball.
3: Cubs 5,
5: Giants 5. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, 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 man. That's awesome. woo was the call in the background. I don't know if that was our next guest or if that was uh, Mark Grody who was doing pre-imposed at the time or Len Casper who was in the booth. It was, a, it was a crowded booth for a while there in 2016. It's Inside the Clubhouse on The Score. Our next guest joins us on the Alpamani Ford Hotline. Alpamani Ford in Melrose Park.
4: The great color commentator for Chicago Cup Baseball here on The Score. Ron Coomer joins us from his, uh, well, I don't know where Ron is right now, but we know he's <laughs> safe and healthy, and that's all that really matters. Coombs, welcome in. Thank you so much. And uh, talk a little bit about what's going on with you and uh, and some of these great games that have been going on here on The Score every day.
5: Well, first of all, that's one of my greater moments in uh, my broadcast uh career. Woo! In the background. The <laughs> 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 Woo boy! I thought it more a catch and bonus baseball. We're still in the game, so that was pretty entertaining. I started laughing last night. I had to get away from the mic because I was <laughs> like, oh God, what's wrong with you? <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's the motion of the game and what we're doing is playoff baseball. But, um, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. I'm, You know, I'm, it's like... Uh, being a little kid again, you're watching a movie for the second time, and and it's just fun, right? The energy, and you know what's going to happen, but you're still kind of fired up about it, and, and watching, and wondering the little nuances too that you pick up, you know, about the game itself, and researching, and seeing plays made, and, and researching certain pitches or certain at bats. It's it's been a lot of fun, and I hope we're able to bring a little something you know, of live baseball, even though it's a few years old, to uh, some of our score listeners and some of the Cub fans around the country because I know Pat and I are having fun doing it, that's for sure. See, that that's
1: the thing, Coom. is like it's all the rage right now, obviously, to re-air classic games from any sport on any channel, but the unique opportunity for people to hear the way you guys are living it. I mean, look at you. You're doing the research and getting back in the headspace of the game and the moment and then if anybody doesn't know joe ostrowski and you and pat hughes are together on the air before the game begins after the third after the seventh i believe and and after the game again um and it's uh you really get to add the context and remind people what it is this is a very very unique experience what are what what are what are some things that you've kind of remembered or relearned about this series against the Giants and, and how it went down through the first three games as you and Pat and Joe have been doing this?
5: Well, I think first and foremost it was when you researched just the Cubs of 16 going into the playoffs. I remember um, the feeling I had going into the playoffs at Wrigley Field the day of the first game and just thinking how, how big a game game one was. Because the Cubs had 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 such a good year in 15 that got just absolutely annihilated all the good feeling when you got on the plane leaving New York to come back to Chicago when he got swept by the Mets. Um, you know, that, that was just, oh, it just heart wrenching. So, you, you know, that was really tough to deal with. And you didn't want that feeling of the carryover of that Mets series to to get back into the feel of 16. But that all got, you know, got squashed by Johnny Lester's great performance and one swing of the bat by Javi in game one. So I think that was first. I was concerned about how the young players were going to deal with what had happened a year before. And would the Cubs get on a roll? Because they were the best team in baseball. They had the best rotation in baseball. I mean, they were really on a roll. But, you know, as, as we all know, playoff baseball is a different animal than the regular season.
4: What are your recollections, Coombs, of uh, uh, Joe Madden at that point and his confidence level in his team as those playoffs began and he got into this giant series that you'll hear uh, Game Four of tonight on the score?
5: Well, I think his communication skills, Bruce, were were phenomenal during that time. He he talked to his players and he really communicated with the young players, right? The veteran guys. What do you need to say to John Lester? Go get him. Here's the baseball. Same thing with David Ross. Here, okay, you're, you're all prepared, right? We, we know the game plan going in. Here are the balls. Here's the bat. David, here's your equipment. You guys go play. But it's the young kids that you got to stay in their ear and you got to talk to them, the Javis and Russells and, 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 and Schwarber come World Series time. And some of those guys have, of getting them to be able to feel good about themselves, including Anthony Rizzo, who was really struggling early in this playoffs, until the next round where he hits the big home run. But I I, I really felt like uh, Joe's communication, and we mentioned it last night. I made one statement last night in the broadcast of that game, but it really hit home with me how fearless our young players played in those playoff games. So Javi making incredible plays and throws that a lot of players would have just eaten the ball and not made the throw, and he got an out but just the fearlessness of the way that the young guys played um, as first-year players, maybe, you know, they got a year and a half of service time in and you're playing the biggest games of your life. Boy,
1: there's something about being so young and so fresh that you don't even realize you should be terrified, right? Where the pressure, <laughs> pre- pre- playing, pressure, b-
5: yep, for sure. right?
1: The pressure builds as you get older, but no, I remember just what you're talking about whether it was Addison Russell coming up big in the Dodgers series. You know what I remember thinking at the end of the run, Coom, is that because it was so long with so many ups and downs and this giant series is big, by the time you got to the end of the World Series, it felt like a little mini season. Like everybody had every, – a lot of people had slumps and then broke out of it. A lot of people were hot and then cooled off. Hell, Kyle Hendricks got hurt. I forgot that Hendricks even got hurt the other night in Game One, as I was listening, and then came back and was brilliant in the NLCS and the World Series. You know, so it, it was it was long enough that it felt like a little a little season in and of itself.
5: Without question, it was a, it was over a month, right? We played for for a month of of playoff baseball um, with all the travel, cross country travel, and everything that we did um, going twice across the country to play series um, and then it was almost like we caught a break playing Cleveland um, as far as geographically because you know you could go back and forth real easy but um, it, it was it was a grind of a series this series was a grind it was like every game nothing came easy but the the cool thing about that as we go into this um, series of games that we're we're talking about in 16 I really felt like because of those games the Cubs didn't have a rookie in the World Series playing. You know, there were no rookies any longer. Everybody maybe yep. Kyle Schwarber was, you know, because he was hurt all year. Other than that, the Baezes, Russell's, Amores, all those guys, no more rookies. They're 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 seasoned now. They they've got enough seasoning. They're playing their game. They're not they're not panicked. You know, they're gonna play the way they're supposed to play. And and I thought that was that was fun to watch, I would be honest with you.
4: My favorite game is the game that you guys will be talking about tonight, starting at five o'clock on the score, and that is Game Four of the series between the Giants and the Cubs. And Coombs, they were they were being dominated. Uh, I was headed toward the uh, clubhouse in the ninth inning, and uh, you know we were we were talking about Johnny Cueto in Game Five among us reporters, and how what type of challenge that would be, knowing that he was one of the top pitchers in the game at, at his peak at that time and how that would be at Wrigley field the, the next day.
5: Boy, isn't that the truth? I, we all felt that we, I, I'm sure you and I talked about it before the ball game on the field, right? I, yeah. you just knew that, you know, the Cubs one game one because of one swing of the bat and John Lester pitching, pitching his butt off toe to toe with Quato and how easily that game could have gone the other way um, matt moore i thought was a good matchup for the cubs with some of the right-handed hitters javi russell um even possibly Soler if he was going to play um, i thought that was a good matchup for the cubs because the guys were the weather was going to be decent and you could hit the ball in the middle of the diamond and get some some good results um but it was a scary moment that's for sure but I really felt there's a moment in this game coming up that we're going to listen to tonight and we're going to play tonight. I really felt late in the ball game, the Cubs had something on Romo, and he was running out of gas, and his slider was really starting to, it just wasn't crisp. And mm-hmm. I thought the, the back end of the bullpen for the Giants was going to be a big struggle, and it turned out to be. That's absolutely true. And I, I agree
1: with you, Bruce, about this game being such a key. Ooh. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's funny because personally, my son was four years old and had the good fortune to bring him to game two at Wrigley. And he felt the energy in the crowd when they won and they're playing Chapman's music and then playing Go Cubs Go. And then here he used baseball, Coombe, to stay up late. Used this game tonight that you're going to talk for it's like oh
4: that's for
1: sure right like daddy let me stay up and watch with you let me stay up and watch with you so i let him and we he he stayed up late and when the cubs do what they do in the ninth inning he's he jumped on the bed and started going go cubs go like remembering the song from two nights before it was a, a so it's like we all have some of those beautiful personal moments attached to this and uh and I'll find myself thinking of it as it plays tonight. It's, it's wonderful
5: to get a chance to relive it, Coombe. It sounds like it is for you, too. It really is. There's no doubt. I have one of the moments. I remember I was living on 57th and Massasoit in Chicago. Unfortunately, neither one of our teams were good enough to be in the playoffs very often during those, those times. But I remember Pudge Fisk isn't going to like me talking about this, me being you know, a little kid and him playing in the big leagues. But too bad, Pudge. Um, <laughs> The deal was, it was the, the Red Sox-Yankees, our Red Sox-Cincinnati uh, Reds playing in that World Series, and I remember the same thing, right? Telling my dad, Dad, I can't go to bed, and he was right there with me, <laughs> and he's watching the game, and, and uh, I remember the call from Kirk Gowdy and Pudge hitting the ball off the, off the foul pole in Fenway Park, but that was, a, that was my first negotiation, As a young kid, (laughs) the negotiation of getting my dad to say yes, and I knew he was on my side because he didn't wanna, he wasn't just gonna sit there by himself, but it was my mom that was like, he's got school tomorrow. And I'm like, the hell with school? We got a ball game here, let's go. But that was my first negotiation, I think, yeah. and I won the negotiation, but it was kind of slanted two, two to one against my mom,
4: so that was... Mine Mine yeah. started at <laughs> uh, age six, guys, okay, age six, back in the late 1800s, this occurred, <laughs> uh, it is actually, uh, I, was, I was coming back from uh, grammar school for lunch, as we did in those days, and the... Uh, World Series game between the Yankees and the Dodgers was coming on the air all those day those days were day games right right So I, I got the usual uh, upset stomach and couldn't go back. I couldn't make it to the second half of school and Don <laughs> Larson threw a perfect game that oh. day. Wow. that was uh, that was my negotiation that went well. Back in wow. uh, 1956, so October 1956, that was my first negotiation of many, many more uh, that <laughs> wow. cost me most of my education going <laughs> down the line. Hey, we got a good
5: education those nights, then those days, that's what was good. right? That's it, that
4: was, us, that, was right, yeah. that was your education.
1: That was your education, Cool. It turned out
4: that it, way. That, Luckily, yeah. there was it, this to turn to, otherwise, uh, I don't know, it might have not turned out that well for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a a, a, a cum the uh, the same moment you're talking about the Fisk home run, my brother was not allowed to stay up. My brother, who's t- nine years older than me, was sent to bed, and he never forgave my father. Still has not forgiven my father as as long as as they both have lived. So 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 you you won that one. My brother my brother lost that one. Yeah, so,
5: I, I I won the negotiation. That was a good thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, understood. Well, Akum, you're the best. Um, nice talking to you. Thank you, and uh, look, looking forward to hearing this this great game tonight. And these uh, these have been really nice. I got to tell you, man, I was in the car the other night. I had to go somewhere, and was driving back, and I heard the Baez homer in the one nothing game, and it. It it the the moment gave me chills again. Maybe just because I was in the car and it was outside and baseball was on the radio, it felt it felt right. So here's hoping we get that in real time again sometime.
5: Yeah, we will. Tonight's going to be a great great broadcast. I thought um, the end of this game stick with us folks because this is I just love listening to Pat. I loved the way the game went for the Cubs. Obviously, it turned out great, but there were some moments in that game late in the game that were just you know, phenomenal for young Cub players to, to figure out their game and and uh, and and things work out. But it's been a lot of fun. And you know what really what I've really had fun listening to this morning? Is Brucey's commercial in his singing for Vuk. I love it. Brucey. <laughs> now that is now you're sitting next to one of the league vocalists in our city and you're sense. singing on these commercials. That is well, just phenomenal. I, it's, it's,
4: I don't know if it's really singing. It's it's more chan- it's more like chanting, isn't it? But uh, thanks. Uh, yeah, Vuk Vuk is a longtime uh, advertiser and friend of ours, and uh, friend of all of yeah, us. We, yeah. We, what we, a great we guy. We have a good time with that. Hey, uh, Ron, have a good time tonight with Pat and with Joe O. Five o'clock. Uh, must listen to radio game four, the uh, NLDS between the Giants and the Cubs. Thanks again for joining us. Okay.
5: Thanks for having me on, guys. Love listening. All
4: right. All right. Cool. Is, we have he, people he, he to thank, uh, Matt, uh, starting with Adam Szynski, our great producer today. Uh, also, we start with Peter Gammons, John Rooney, and, of course, Coombs, you as well, for being the gracious and great uh, partner that I have here as well. And people can listen or tune in to me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine, also 67 com, where I write Cubs and Sox as often as I can. Have a great week, Matt.
1: Have a great week, Bruce. Um, Hit and Run is tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Uh, you can uh, tune back in for more baseball conversation with me and a variety of guests. When we're done here, it is Mark Grody and Steve Rosenbloom for Saturday Suckage. So don't go anywhere. Keep enjoying the score. Stay safe and stay sane, everybody.